You're listening to American Snippets, the all-American podcast for those looking to dream bigger, live better, and make an impact. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of American Snippets. My name's Dave Brown. I'm here with my co-host, Barbara Allen. And today, we're going to change it up a little bit. We're actually doing a throwback episode. This is all the way back a year and a half ago from one of the very first episodes, the third episode that we ever did with Micah Fink from Heroes and Horses. And Micah Fink is a former Navy SEAL and just a total badass who found a piece of himself through horses the great outdoors, and a cowboy lifestyle. And in this throwback episode of the American Sippets podcast, Micah talks about how he started Heroes and Horses as a way to give back and help other veterans overcome their struggles of PTSD and all the other demons they faced after war. Micah Fink has an amazing mindset. And in this episode, not only does he offer great insight into his mindset, but he shares some valuable lessons on how to overcome struggles and how to use those challenges that we all face as a catalyst for growth and change. So here is Barbara Allen with Micah Fink. You are listening to the American Snippets Podcast. Hi, this is Barb Allen with American Snippets. We are here today with Micah Fink, and we are super excited to have him here. He uh, is someone and does something very near and dear to our hearts. Anyone who has served in combat or who loves someone who served in combat knows all too well that surviving that experience and coming home doesn't mean that it's over. All too often, our men and women who have served in combat zones or on other dangerous missions are left sort of scrambling to pick up the pieces and put their lives back together in a world that doesn't at all truly comprehend what they've been through and the wounds they're carrying inside, the wounds that aren't necessarily visible. Although today we have a recent upswing in attention and care and services provided for our veterans there's still a huge gap. And for a lot of these veterans, it's just not enough. I mean, counseling and therapy can help, but more often than not, those those two practices alone aren't enough to really reach deep inside and address the things that are causing us to lose our veterans at a really super scary rate. So our guest today not only is a veteran and has not only served in some really hairy places. I looked at your resume and I got kind of scared just reading it. I don't even know how you people have the guts to go do what you do because, you know, I had to take a step back after I just checked that out. But um, Micah Fink, you are here today taking time out of your very busy schedule to tell us a little bit about your extraordinary organization, what you do, why you do it, how you came to do it, and uh, maybe how anybody listening and reading this story that will pop up can can help or join in even by referring somebody. Hi, Micah. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me, Barbara. I appreciate it. I'm excited uh, to be here on American Snippets. <laughs> Thank you. We so appreciate you all taking the time out to to take the and to uh, do the story with us. Um, let's start first at the basics. Obviously, you are a you you were in Navy SEALs for ten years. 
Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I served. Uh, um, I was at the World Trade Centers on 9-11. I was actually working in Queens, New York when the towers uh, started falling. And uh, I went into uh, the city with a friend of mine. I was working as a lineman at the time. And um, I was there in the rescue efforts. I stayed there for over over 30 hours and, and you know, experienced all the horrors that you could imagine that were going on there. And then uh, and then in 2003, I, uh, I joined the military and went on to become a Navy SEAL. Just like that. I love it. Every, I talked to so many of you and you're all like, yeah, I became a Navy SEAL. All right. Well, you know, I went to ShopRite yesterday. But, and that's how you all say yeah, it right. too, which is pretty cool. Um, so we won't get into, you know, all the details of, of your service. I don't want to bring you back to bad places, but maybe you could just tell us a little bit about what it was you personally faced when you came up. You were, were you married when you uh, deployed? Yeah, uh, well, no, I'm I'm with the same girl. We were just dating, and and we've been together for almost ten years now. Um, we've got four children, and we weren't married at the time, but yeah, she's been through every every deployment as a as a SEAL and as a paramilitary guy that right. you know subsequently followed my career. Um, yeah, so she she's been through it all. Um, you know, she's been through all the ups and downs, and I think for me, like it's it's a it's kind of a dichotomy when you think about combat when you're when you're there you want to be home but when you're home you want to be there and you know i like you know i, I enjoy my time and, and the good and the bad i enjoyed it all because i look at more uh i have a perspective on life that's it's more of the experience right you know and i don't let life happen to me but i let it happen for me so i always have the ability to make choices i don't become the victim i signed up to serve my country i knew i could die every guy that served next to me um knew that and some of them did um and it's a it's a challenging environment but it's um it's an experience that i believe has helped me become who i am today and it's become a fundamental building block of growth in my life rather than a situations and circumstances that really at one time broke me down, but now the same experiences are building me up. Awesome. So, I mean, did you have help, you know, you're reaching out and you're helping others get to that point where you just said today, you know, that point where you seem to have a handle on everything, but did you have to do that, you know, yourself um, or did you have organizations or people like you in your life to, you know, was there a mica in your life to help you kind of reach through and come back? Uh, no. Um, I, uh, I got home from overseas and, uh, you know, kind of was in a tough place and the type of individual I am, I, I was waiting to get a job. I ended up working for the state department for a small period of time. Um, when the transition during the SOFA agreement. So I worked with some, uh, some pretty high level folks there from Washington, uh, while they were touring Iraq and, um, during that downtime, I was kind of in a tough place. All I, you know, all I could feel was the intensity. I, I almost just wanted to kind of go right back on active duty because I, I felt so out of place. I felt like the world was happening around me. I couldn't touch it. So um, I had about a two months down. So I packed up everything I had and just uh, took off to Brazil. And I traveled down the Amazon 500 miles in a canoe with an Indian guy. Um, and that was a big turning point in my life. Uh, I was alone out there uh, for almost six weeks. And... I didn't talk to anybody. It was subsistence living. Um, we lived off just fish and caimans and lived in the jungle and hammocks and stayed in villages. And I didn't really talk most of the time. And it was one of the 
hardest things I've ever endured with bugs and jungle rot and just animals and cougars. And it was just insanity. Uh, I came back and I really wasn't thinking that much about any of my other experiences. I was just thinking about that experience and it kind of became the new normal. And that ties into the creation, you know, of, of the program that I run now, Heroes and Horses, is that struggle actually gives things in life value. And I could talk more about that. But yeah, I, I came back and then I went right back to Iraq. I was there for about 150 days. Uh, came back, went back to Iraq, and then I got hired on with a paramilitary job where I proceeded to do another nine deployments uh, after that. Oh, my goodness. So maybe we should be talking to your wife because she must be a saint. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> That's um, okay, so tell us a little bit about Heroes and Horses. What is this? It's better coming from you than me. Yeah, so really, like, I kind of like to take a look at the need that we're filling, but why that need exists. I kind of call it the truth behind the numbers. So you think about nonprofits in North America, there's about 60,000 of them, which accounts for around $7 billion a year. That's governmental, non-governmental self-help or, or therapy programs for veterans. Except for 110,000 guys have killed themselves since 9-11, homelessness, drug addiction, suicides. I mean, they're just, it's skyrocketing. Um, but why? There's so much infrastructure there. There's so much there for guys. And the numbers, you know, it's like my best friend always says, you know, math doesn't lie. And it's not an it's not an economic issue, though programs like this can't function without economics. It is a process issue. And I believe the processes that are in place for the combat veteran today actually exasperate and create the problems. I would so, not disagree with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so heroes and horses not a vacation. So, so I see. <laughs> it is definitely not a vacation. See, that really comes from these organizations out there and God bless their heart. Everyone's trying to help veterans, right? We all want to help the veterans. But the thing is like, we need to help veterans help themselves because you're not going to always be there. And the, the, the environments that we create for these guys actually polarize the problems. So, you know, it's almost like kind of when you're breaking a wild horse and that horse is really, you know, he could eat your lunch. He could front foot you. He could kill you. He could kick you. He could run you over, mow you down. So what do I start doing? I start tiptoeing around them. Right. And I'm making that animal even more amped up because what am I doing? I'm creeping around like a, a mountain lion. Right. I'm seeing I'm taking the saddle and I'm doing things that don't exist in real life. And we create programs and take guys, you know, Oh, hey, you were in combat for 19 months. Half your platoon was killed. Let me take you in here. You ride a four-wheeler for the weekend. No loud noises, super quiet. You're assigned a mom, and then you go back home. Well, first of all, no loud noises and an environment where nobody gets mad, those are fake environments. They only exist in people's minds. And so what those solutions do is they polarize the problem because guys come home. They do great in this environment when they're here, but when they go home, that's when the problems start because that's actually real life. And we've created a little place called fake life. And so what I'm doing is I'm exposing guys to what they're going to encounter in the real world and stop polarizing their experiences and work on saying, hey, those memories that you have, they're never going away. They're imprinted on you. But who are you now with those experiences and what can you be? And so rather than talk about it, I show it to them. How do you show it to them? Well, I like to say that the program is really – 
biology, not psychology. I'm not showing, I'm not telling guys what to think or what normal looks like. And I'm quantifying success on the individual basis. So basically, guys learn to live from the inside out, not the outside in. We always want to ask somebody what to do. We want to go to Barnes and Nobles. We want to ask a person we've never met living in a high rise in New York City. They don't know anything about us. And they have the roadmap to who we're supposed to become to equate to a place called normal that somebody else existed or created in their existence. So we take veterans. We try to get them to a place that pertains nothing to them. Like you take a guy, he's a Delta Force guy, I know he's 20 years in Delta Force and he comes home from combat, he's got 22 deployments and the first person he sees is a 25 year old grad student that just got out of Georgetown, great person that's going to tell him how to get back to the place where he's supposed to be going. So how ridiculous is that? So we're all, think about the human body and how amazing it is. You know, when I say it's biology, not psychology, inside the human body, you have 71 trillion cells. Okay. And inside that cell is DNA code specific to you, Barbara and me that exists nowhere else on earth, an incredible code. So if I was to open up one of your cells and stretch it out, it would be six feet long. And if I was to read one character out of one cell every second, it would take me 96 years to read one cell. So if I was to stretch every one of those from end to end, would go from here into the moon and back 178,000 times. So the answers that you're looking for are not outside. They are fundamentally inside. But the most difficult thing you will ever do in your life is look in for answers, not out. Struggle gives things in life value, period. So the greater the struggle, the greater the value. You always have the ability to make choices. And so this program is about showing guys what is inscribed upon their hearts. It's not my idea of what normal looks like and you should graduate here and go to Goldman Sachs or veterans need suits and shoes to feel good about themselves. It's a process about fundamentally changing the approach that people have to life. Awesome. And that is really what transforms these guys' lives. So you do that. You, you, um, take applications from veterans and those who are selected or come through your application process arrive in Montana, Montana for the first of three phases. You want to talk about these phases and what they are? So what the program itself is? Yeah. So the program itself is a three phase reintegration program. Uh, like our motto, not a vacation. This is not a vacation for veterans. You know, there's a lot of those out there and those are great. And, uh, they're just doing something different than I'm doing. I, this program is based on three things. One, people change only two ways, and that's through pressure and time. Three, it's purpose that allows you to overcome your external circumstances. And I skipped one there. So it's two. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. <laughs> it's purpose that allows you to overcome your external circumstances. And three, it's struggle that gives things in life value. So how we execute that is a three-phase reintegration program. Veterans come out to Montana they learn horsemanship, wilderness packing, backcountry survival skills. Um, in phase one, they're, they're given five days of training, intensive training, where it's 6 o'clock in the morning to 11 o'clock at night. They are responsible completely for their animals. They learn how to, I mean, do everything involved with mountain and backcountry horsemanship. Then it's an eight-day trip. After the eight-day trip, they come 
we come back to the base camp and then they go to a wilderness survival school where they learn three days of wilderness survival and they spend two days in the backcountry with nothing but a knife. And then they come back to Heroes and Horses to start phase two. Phase two is another five days where they learn how to drive trucks and trailers, how to put shoes on horses, more advanced packing, and then it's an 11-day, 160-mile trip through the Beartooth Mountain Range in Montana. Every guy's responsible for his animals. So it's, you know, you got fire team, cook team, and we're up over, you know, 11,000 feet with these horses and animals. It's very intense. And then the guys come back, they pack up, they get a day off, they go home for about four or five weeks, depending on where they're going. From there, they go to what I call reintegration phase. They're sent to work for wilderness outfitters in Wyoming, Brooks Range in Alaska, Montana, where they'll spend four to six weeks working up there for outfitters away from heroes and horses, away from veterans, and essentially simulate them getting a job and getting out there again on their own. So that's the program. It's a fundamental reintegration program. It's not about making cowboys or outfitters or horsemen. It is a program where eventually pressure peels back the layers to who they are, like that original thought, and they start taking ownership of their lives again. I don't care if you don't like loud noises. I don't like loud noises, but you know what? To live in a world where there's no loud noises don't exist, buddy. <laughs> so I want, you know, people say, oh, no, what's your triggers? You know what? I want to pull every one of those triggers, all of them. I want them all to go off because then, then I can, then we can deal with them. It's the same thing with a horse. Oh, don't do that around my horse. He'll go crazy. Why can't I have a horse that goes crazy when a plastic bag goes by? Right. That's not a real world where there's no plastic bags. Right. All right. So like <laughs> the reality of it is we make matters worse. So this program up here, guys, some of the guys tell me this is the hardest thing they've ever done. Well, and then I, I'm going to say that sort of sounds like it. <laughs> but the thing is when they're I'm, done. Yeah. They go home. Some of them are like, this, that is an experience. They're like, that's all I can think about. It's been the most incredible experience of my life because struggle gives things in life value. Right. If it wasn't a struggle, then it wouldn't have any value. Like if doctors were running the Super Bowl, we would just walk out there. We don't want to get anyone worked up. All right. So we would just walk down and say, well, you guys win this year. All right, everyone, take it easy. Right. But struggle gives things of value. Why do you think people watch Naked and Afraid? Because there's I nothing mean, else on that night. <laughs> no, because deep down inside, they're watching that and they're thinking to themselves, yeah. what would I learn about myself if I was there? Would I quit? Would I do it? Would I survive? Because pressure, intense experiences right. help us learn about ourselves. And we stop doing that for veterans. So all they know is the previous experience. It's like getting a bug off your windshield that you hit at 60 miles an hour. Are you going to? pour a cup of water on it. Right. Well, yeah, that'll work after 10 years. Or you're going to use a pressure washer and just, and then go about your business. So, um, that is the program. It's a three phase reintegration program. It's not us. This is a program where these guys, they connect with these horses in a way that changes their life. Yeah. They learn about themselves because the horse is really the mirror reflection to their soul. So I have the most calm horses and I'll put I'll match these guys up based on their personalities. And it's amazing what the guys will bring out of this horse. I'm like, man, I've never seen that horse act like that ever. This guy angry, just filled with anger and rage. And you'll see, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to give this guy the most calm horse I have. But that horse starts to become just like that. Um, and what the guys have to do to accomplish a mission is they have to start changing their behaviors. They have to learn how to communicate with that animal. And that communication is really a re-entry re into trust. 
trust yeah. with the horses, then trust with their teammates, then, you know, trust in themselves. And it, each guy that finishes his, graduates his program from start to finish is successful because he's identified purpose in his life. Not, I'm not talking about jobs. The job is what you do. A purpose is how you live. And they use that knowledge to go on and they're all doing incredible things. So I've just said a whole bunch of stuff. And I'm really no, that's that. awesome. I'm so, I'm so fascinated by this program and I've been scouring your Facebook site. I mean, your pictures are just incredible, um, you know, out there. So, and you just said a lot of things that show how complex sort of, you know, how many layers there are to what you do because you also take horses that, you know, you don't go to the camp, the 4-H camp down the road and get school horses. You go to BLM and you get Mustangs, correct? Yeah. So we we just adopted 15 Mustangs. We're actually going to have 17 Mustangs with us, but um, somebody adopted a couple for us in Arizona. So we'll be picking them up on the way to 500 miles. I've never met these horses. And these horses are pretty wild animals. Like they, as beautiful as you are, seeing running through a field. Yeah. You get in a round pen with that lunch. They got a black belt and horse jujitsu. Okay. These horses will eat your lunch. Yeah. All right. So let me just be honest about that. Oh yeah. And they're scared. Um, everything that they've been running away from their entire life, you're trying to do to them. Right. Um, and that, that is like these veterans. That's it's exactly the same exact saying. thing. Yep. They're, they're, they're in a place where they're, everything you try to do to them is everything that they've been running away from, right? People right. have caused all these problems and hurt and everything that's happened to them. So it starts with building trust. And we have to put these animals, you know, I always say that pressure reveals everything. We have to put these animals through a process where I can learn what they're going to do in some of the toughest situations before I introduce them to a guy that's never been on a horse before. Right. And the way we're going to do that is, is ride, 500 miles on them. And, um, it's actually going to be more like 700 miles. We're going to ride 564 miles. And then from there I go straight to Colorado. I'm going to ride another 200, uh, in a horse gather. We're going to gather up 1800 horses. I'm going to do that by myself with some other cowboys. And, uh, so I'll put another 200 miles on some of the tougher horses. Uh, I'll know everything about those animals. Yeah. I'll, I'll know everything. And then I can decide, okay, you're going to go on and be a student horse. You're going to go on and do this. And then um, these guys are going to each be given one of these Mustangs in June. And then they're going to ride them another 400 miles. So um, pressure reveals everything. Everything. Yeah. No, I, so no kidding. They, we, have to, we have to know that. And uh, for me, it's just I came up with 500 miles because I always say that this program – we change the same way the environment does through pressure and time. Horses change through pressure and time. People yeah. change through pressure and time. The Grand Canyon changed through pressure and time. And so yeah. I'm putting these horses through the same process to help them identify purpose. And these horses are going to use that knowledge to help these veterans identify theirs. So it's an incredible story, um, the 500 Miles Project. And we're telling the story of the unpurposed animal and the unpurposed human being and how it's purpose that allows people and horses to overcome external circumstances. And so at the end of this story, when you know this movie comes out, it's going to be an amazing parallel that I think is going to, it's, it's not just about veterans and horses. It's a, it's a human story. It's a story about how people change 
and how other people's ideas have separated us from learning about who we are. And that's what this project is about. So it's, is it going to be perfect? No. Is every horse going to work out and have a beautiful mane running through the grass? (laughs) No, it's not. And that's called reality. Right. Right. So welcome to reality because I'm all about reality and not fake stuff. I'm about real stuff, not a vacation. <laughs> so, so I'm figuring out. Uh, so, have you ever had anybody come into the program and just drop out, just say, I, I can't do it, and, you know, I'm out, and ask to leave? Or does everybody um, really find a way to push through and, and get to the goal of the program? Uh, the first year I ever did this, I had a guy kill himself um, before he came to the program. Following year, I had a guy quit because he was like, he was realized he just wanted to try to get 100% disability. Um, I had a guy last year quit um, too hard, realized he's, I think what happens is with guys that quit, and we screened pretty hard for guys. Um, we had 154 guys apply last year, we only took 16. Oh my goodness. Um, so what happens is, we have created a really cool environment, which I call professional veteranism. I just, it's my own word, (laughs) so it doesn't exist. So you can't Google it. But, um, (laughs) what happens is, is like, Hey, uh, I've got post-traumatic stress. Like, so I'm going to head to Disney on a free trip and then I'm going to jump up there and ride bicycles with Blake Shelton. And then I'm heading to Texas to hunt a hog up to Alaska for a deer down to New Zealand, killing a stag. I'd like to squeeze out to Montana, learn a little bit about horses before I go and ride dirt bikes with Ricky Johnson. Like, <laughs> Do you know, we have, have the no- same thing in the widow world, in the military widow world. That's so funny because I call people professional widows. I'm like, you're just riding the yeah. widow circuit. I'm like, that's exactly yeah. what they do. So yeah, so, yeah they're on about, both sides. You got to remember growth is life. Yeah. And a good experience can be just as destructive as a bad experience, right? If all I ever did was throw the pass in 1978 at the high school game and took Sally home from the prom, right? Um, and all they do is, and now it's 2017, I walk in the bar, I'm like, hey, how about a free beer for the guy that threw the old pass in 78? <laughs> and that's all I ever talk about. Right. That good experience has fundamentally destroyed my life. Yeah. I don't care what it is. If all I sit around and talk about like, oh, yeah, I was like a Navy SEAL. I remember that time in Kandahar. I remember I was in, you know, Jalalabad or, you know, Mazi Sharif or, or whatever. I remember that time and all they ever do is relive that. Then that has now become, I'm creating my own future. And that's what we do. We want to, we want to just live in those experiences because growing forward and finding out who we are is really hard to do. Yeah. It's super it's hard. Super to do. hard. Like, what to are you do. gonna do? Are you gonna yeah. are you gonna hunt an elk and and grow a garden and live and and, pro- and grow your own food, or are you gonna keep eating donuts and take a Lipitor? Most people, you know, what kills you more, taking the staircase or the escalator? Right. Snapping into McDonald's at noon or heading home and going in your garden and picking a tomato and slicing it up and baking a loaf of bread. Like, right. Struggle gives value. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, And I think these guys, when they start to learn about themselves, they come to a critical point in this program where they realize that life is like a staircase. We can't decide what those materials are made of, but we can choose whether they're going to lead us up in a way 
or down and below. And some of the guys make the choice and, and that's fundamentally their own choice. Yeah. And it's, it's sad because I always, I talk about in my speeches, I give like, beware of the free lunch. Don't take the free lunch. Right. Don't take the free lunch. These guys, you know, all of a sudden like you all in there trouble sleeping. Well, have you tried cre- creating a sleep environment? Have you tried turning off Wi-Fi signals and all this stuff and like quiet and for a week going to bed at the same time and resetting your circadian rhythm or you just take an ambient and Valium? Yeah. 95% of the guys ambient value, right? Awesome. What does that lead to? Now we see addiction. addiction. The addiction. I mean, I would say opiate abuse within the guys that we have applied for this program is probably up in the high 70%. Yeah, I see that you actually come right out and ask that. And I think maybe that's one thing that uh, allows you to have such a success rate is because some people, like you said, they think they're doing the right thing and they're going to coddle and they're going to say, well, you know, we just won't talk about that. But you're like, dudes. Tell me what's up. You know, have you got a problem? I like, you yeah. know, you just call them. You so you can. Yeah, I don't disqualify guys for anything. Them, listen, right. I get it. What what I get it. People are going to try masking. You know, whether it's drugs and alcohol or it's anger, whatever their whatever their vices are. Like, yeah. I'm about pulling triggers. Like, no. <laughs> Because then we can get to work on them. Yeah, no, I know. It's great. It is great. And it actually takes a certain kind of courage to do that too, because it takes it takes energy to almost confront someone. You know, it's easier to it's easier to just be nice to them and pat them on the back and give them that free beer than it is to say, oh, hell no, you're not getting this. And so, you know, you work yeah. for it. So it takes right. energy. I know I'm raising four kids. So I'm like, it's much easier for me to clean the kitchen myself sometimes and to get all four of them down you know, yeah. and make them do it. And so, and, but then you try to reverse that damage, what you're doing. You're just creating the monster that you're trying to destroy, really. I did it that. with these horses. Like yeah. I was, I was like really like kind of intimidated in the beginning because like they would, I'd get in these round pens. We had two of them set up that were connected together and they would just run at you. Like, you know, and you just kind of stand your ground and kind of try to shoot them away and they're jump, they're rearing back and they're kicking out and you're like, you know, so then I get to the point where I'm starting to saddle them. Everything I'm doing is I'm tiptoeing around the horse because I don't want him to go nuts. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, what I'm just doing is I'm just allowing him to say, like, as long as I do this, like, fake environment around you, you're not going to go nuts. But is it reality when it's 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm in the middle of the desert somewhere, and I got 15 horses, and I'm also going to start sneaking up on you <laughs> with the saddle and lightly sa- No way. Yeah. That's not going to exist when the land these guys are living in. So I'm doing them a disservice. Right. I'm doing myself a disservice. So you know what? It's like you want to blow up when I come at you with a saddle? Let's go for a ride, buddy. Like, let's do it. Let's pull those triggers. And I got a horse. I have one that's a bad kicker. Like, bad kicker. Like, kick your face off. Like, he tries to kick your leg out of the stirrup. Um, you know, he'll sm- he'll eat your lunch in the ground. So I had to teach him that like, okay, buddy, what am I going to do? Not do anything, not ever touch his backside of his rib cage ever. Like that's not reality. So we pulled that trigger to a point where it just became non, a non-trigger anymore. Yeah. It just, it's, it's just non-existent now. It just went away. And I've learned so much about veterans and about my own life by working with horses. Um, people create 95% of the problems with horses people create. People create 95% of the problems with veterans. It's it's not – I just read a study the other day. It said the majority of guys that come home and have a lot of problems happens two years after they get out of military service. 
two years. So um, that's that's a pretty interesting statistic, and I think we can I think we can change the narrative. I think we can impact a lot of lives, and I think the reason why this program lasts is because it's these guys' own idea. This is not my idea. I'm 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 saying what you're looking for, you already have. I'm going to put you in a process where you can find it. That's it. That's this whole conversation in a nutshell. Yeah, done that, right there. Snip that is it. Cool. So. <laughs> Right now, uh, and to date, you you take men only on this trip. Well, we had we ran a female trip once, um, and it wasn't a whole program. You know, we didn't. We have a few females that apply every year. The reason why we don't, I don't like to mix the male and females together, is because there is a lot of at risk men up there, right. and you know, spending twelve days in the back country with you know maybe seven at risk males and one girl female soldier. I don't want to put it in. I just, I don't want to, I want to take that variable out. What I'd like to do is run an all female program. And, you know, we just haven't had enough females apply where we could even put them together to have an all female program. Usually it's, we'll get, you know, two a year or three a year. Um, some of the guys, like I said, that come through this program, pretty heavy, you know, coming from drug use, arrest records, you know, pretty, pretty tough stuff they've been in decorated guys great soldiers were amazing at making civilian soldiers were horrible at making soldiers civilians yeah uh so i i haven't combined them yet and some people hit us up all the time and say oh you know you want to separate the men and the women but the thing is for me it's more of a safety factor until i know where these guys are at um it's an it's a very rugged environment up there, and it's not like I can be watching everybody every second. And God forbid something happens, so I'm about removing bar- variables. So my plan is next year is to run the first all female three phase program. Um, if we get you know enough girls to fill the fill the spot, how many do you need to? Or how many slots are there to be filled? I eight. And just because they apply doesn't I mean it's right. That's, that's why I rephrase the question. For a criteria. <laughs> I'm looking for the individual yeah. based on our questionnaire, which is pretty in depth. Yeah. Um, people that deep down inside, I can tell that they want to help themselves. This one guy applied. He said, I really like this guy. I don't even know who he is, but I read it. He really put a lot of time into his application. And he said, you know, the thing that makes you really mad is I did all this stuff and I travel all of this. And I was a special ops guy. And my wife thinks I'm just going to come home and just be happy dipping my toes in the sand for the rest of my life. Yeah. And I kind of laughed <laughs> because, yeah, that's not what guys need. Right. It's just not. And, uh, yeah, so – you know, we're growing and expanding. Our, our biggest shortfall is that we don't have a ranch right now. We're like on borrowed. Everything's borrowed, okay. which has been amazing. We have a huge community of supporters. Uh, but once we get that working ranch and that's the next piece for us to come together, uh, I think uh, I think we're going to expand into some other really unique programs because the overall concept is people only change two ways. And that's through pressure and time. Yeah. So I've got a lot of amazing ideas that I want to implement, uh, you know, to bring females and bring families out. Um, you know, I wanted to do this family trip where, you know, we actually integrate the kids and the wives and we bring them out there and it's this 10 day team building overland experience that the families work together against other families. And because what happens is a lot of like myself included, you live this military life 
And, you know, Navy SEAL, you know, before you wake up and have your first cup of coffee, I've already jumped out at 30,000 feet with oxygen on. And, you know, I've done more in one morning, most people do in their entire lifetime. I come home and I haven't, I can't do the simplest tasks and work together as a team with my family because I've never worked with them. So then you take them, you put them in a team building environment where the whole family has to start working together and communicating as a unit. Um, so that we've got some really great ideas. We're just limited by infrastructure right now. So if there's anybody out there listening and you got a ranch in Montana, feel free to call these guys <laughs> right and hand it over. A million dollar check. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right. So and I'm going to throw out a gaunt, I'm going to throw a gauntlet out for you. Why don't you one day keep in mind and pull some widows in? You have never experienced reality. Go up on a mountain <laughs> with eight widows, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've got, yeah. I, I'll tell you what, I would love to because yeah. listen, I always say in my speeches that whether you were blown up by an IED, you lost a child, you saw someone get ran over by a garbage truck, or you're a widow. It's all actually really the same. It is. And I think I, it's all really the same. What's happening inside of us is really the same. An experience like that would allow, it would fundamentally transform the way that you look at your, your life. It does. It's not, because we're not out there dude riding. You will be pushed to a point where you're just like, Oh my God. Right. Right. And then you have a choice to make. Right. Then it comes down to then you're making real pure choices about yourself and about your life. And that's the restorative uh, like portion of this program that you get to that point. And and it's different for everybody. Yeah. Some people happens right away. Other people are halfway through the program where you start to see them. It starts to grind them down. Right. Um, And it's a beautiful, beautiful transition Uh, because you would never get to that point. Just. Had, I mean, it's like, why do people run a marathon? Right. Because they're crazy. And so <laughs> I would love to, I would, I would love to bring, I'd love to bring, and I thought about gold star families, yeah. you know, widows. Yeah. Um, there's just, there's just so many avenues. We're just limit. Like I said, last year we had 154 guys apply. We took 16 guys. That is amazing. That is amazing. The thing that sucks is that I, like I said at the beginning, there's 60,000 nonprofits out there that account for $7 billion a year. Right. Right. Veterans are not victims. I'd like to just like, there's organizations that are taking in $400,000 a day. I know. I know. I know. I've I've met a lot of these people. What are the results? What are you doing? How are you quantifying success? When you put on your website, I helped, we helped 300 veterans this year. What does that actually mean? How did you actually help them? Right. Right. Well, they got away for the weekend. You know, they were, it was amazing just seeing them with that deer that they shot at a zoo. Like, I mean, think about that. They and bring it, guys out to these game preserves. They ride them out in a four-wheeler and the guy puts the gun up in the four-wheeler. The, <laughs> the veteran, you earned it. Um, so I just hope that I can change the narrative. Uh, I'm not in this for any other reason except for I think my generation of veterans is being lost. Okay. And it's sad because we are becoming like a subculture within American, you know, within American culturism as the PTSD, drug, criminal, Iraq, you know, tattoos, crazy hair, smashing beer cans, lifted trucks, like AR-15s. And when you have the ability to become leaders of this nation, 
of your family, of your communities, because your experiences can actually enrich your life, good or bad. So. I think that is a good way to wrap that uh, wrap this one up. <laughs> that sums it all up right there. We will. Um, well, first, I want to thank you very much again for taking the time to be here. Tell people quickly what your website is, where I can send them to, to find out more about you. You have on your website, you have a wish list, you have ways to get involved, you have ways to adopt a horse, um, figuratively speaking, so people can help you out in all sorts of ways, right? Yeah, go to heroesandhorses.org, 500milesproject.org. We have an Instagram where you can follow um, you know, everything that we're doing from day-to-day operations all the way through the project that we're accomplishing now. There's a huge opportunity to volunteer. Come out to Montana um, if you want to work really hard and you want to be involved in a program that's changing our lives. There's great opportunities on that. You can go on our website. So. Um, yeah, wish list, trucks, trailers, tack. Um, we have volunteer accountants. Uh, we have people that come out and just clean the offices. So nice. it's, it's really, um, it's an amazing community of, of Americans that get together and get behind this initiative. So yeah, go to our websites, check it out. And thank you, Barbara, for having, uh, having heroes and horses on American snippets. Thank you. And do me a favor. If uh, you have any developments or any new things that you'd like us to, send out please keep in touch and send them our way and we'll just keep blasting them out for you okay okay we appreciate it thank you all right thanks all right there you have it everyone that is one of my favorite episodes that we've done just because uh micah fink and heroes and horses and their story and their mission i mean he fully embodies what the american spirit means and we were just so grateful that we had him on our show all the way back on episode three and grateful that we're able to share it again with you here today if you want to learn more about heroes and horses head on over to american snippets.com forward slash zero zero three you can check out the full article uh you can also uh, visit some links that we'll have there so you can follow and learn more about micah and heroes and horses again we appreciate you being here today don't forget we're running a contest right now where you can win a pair of uh, wireless earbuds we're giving away 10 of these uh, the contest runs until the end of April. All you have to do is go, go on over to americansnippets.com forward slash contest and enter to win. We'll see you next week. Yeah.